Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Good morning. One minute past nine. You're tuned to 102.73 Triple R. Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. My name's Dr. Beach. Hi, Dr. Beach. I'm very well on this beautiful morning. Three in a row. Oh, me being on the show? Yeah. Oh, you know, me just dedication to this, this fine program and this fine <laughs> station. It's lovely to have your dulcet tones with us and your uh, extensive knowledge. My extensive knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks very much, Tim, for Vital Bits, six hours of Vital Bits yet again this weekend. Um, and uh, also thank you very much, as always, to Andrew for Soulful Bits. And we missed the name of the presenter of Things to Do Today. Because it wasn't Edith or Steph. Uh, that's right. And uh, uh, Tim did mention it, but it's gone in one ear and out the other. We were yakking about what we were about to talk about. Which is crustaceans. Yes. <laughs> but more on that later. More on that very soon. Um, yes, but thank you, Tim. You can catch Tim next weekend, of course, as always, for Vital Bits to get you going on your weekend mornings. Yesterday's program, crustaceans. That's what we're talking about. And we're very excited because very shortly in studio, he's here. He's in the green room waiting for us to bring him in. Uh, now, I've always known him as um, Gary. Could be Gaza. <laughs> we'll give him his official title. Museum Victoria's Principal Curator Emeritus Marine Biology, Gary Poor. Gary C.B. Poor. Yes. I'm reading on the spine of this book. It's the new Bible of crustacean taxonomy. Well, the new Bible of decapod crustacean yes. taxonomy. Thank so you. those guys with ten legs. That's why you're which, here, Dr. Beach. Which is your, your, your crabs, your lobsters, your prawns, shrimp, all of that stuff. Yeah. And it's a, it's a magnificent time. And it's not just the Southeastern Australian version, but it's the world, mm. all of them. It's pretty spectacular. So we're going to be speaking with Gary about this incredible – I don't – a book is an understatement to call it a book. I'm going to keep calling it a Bible because it really is what it is. Yeah, it's, it's an encyclopedia of yes. the, the decapod crustacea. And a guide to identifying them. Yeah. So we're going to talk to Gary about that too, about how you go about identifying decapod crustaceans. And Gary's in the studio. Yep. As we said. And then I'm I'm going to Well actually before we do that. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to um welcome to Team Marinara Mara oh, Kelly, yes. who is one of three new dive reporters for us. So we uh, spoke with Cara Hull last week. And this week we'll be speaking with Mara. So Mara is on location in Flinders right now. We'll be crossing to her around nine twenty five. I wonder if she's down at the pier. She is. Ah, She's on the pier. She's on the pier. About to to immerse herself after she converses with us. We'll find out. We'll find out. Could be good diving. I don't know, actually, with the southerly that's come through. It might be a bit bumpy down there. Anyway, we'll ask Myra. She'll she'll know what's going on. And then, Dr. Beach. Um, When I'm looking for papers, you know, to talk about on air, I go to Science, Nature, the big journals. So excited this week to see the front cover of Science is on plankton, zooplankton, Mm. crustacean plankton. In fact, decapod crustacean plankton. And eye glitter. <laughs> they use that to camouflage themselves. It's a, I'll wait to tell you more about it later, but, yeah, it's the kind of stuff that inspires us for, for festivals. Crabby makeup. Crabby makeup. Yep, crabby makeup. <laughs> Looking forward to hearing all about that. And then to close the show, um, I don't know, 
whether we'll be getting away from crustaceans or not. We'll find out. Jeff Maynard is uh, – uh, look, I'm going to read directly from what he sent me. Jeff Maynard goes, Woke bloke, as Soundwaves examines the history of female marine biologists using old movies. From the bustle to the bikini, we mansplain the science of women underwater. <laughs> Nerida, <laughs> special comments from Nerida. Okay, <laughs> woke and mansplaining. Uh huh. Okay, I'm really looking forward to this. We'll um, look forward to it. No, that's great. It's always it's always a joy. Yeah, it's always a joy what Jeff brings. Yep. So looking forward to that, and and I think this might be his theme for 2023. So we'll find out. Mansplaining and wokeness. I think so. <laughs> cool. <laughs> We'll find out. Woke bloke. I think last year it was all about James Bond. I need some mansplaining. The history of diving as told through James Bond movies. This year it's mansplaining. So, yeah, we'll have some fun with that. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. This is Radio Marinara. We've got time for a couple of quick newsy bits. Do you have a newsy bit? Um, I've got one I can start with. Yeah, do it. Uh, this, I've been sort of collecting a few bits and pieces over the over the break, over our summer break, and Live Science is one of my favourite go-tos. I like the journals too, but this one I kind of like. They, they often present really kind of quirky stories or things that you might not expect to see when we're talking about marine science being reported in more mainstream media. Anyway, this headline grabbed me. Sea spiders can regrow their anuses, scientists discover. Nice. So we're talking about pycnogonids. Which are not decapod crustacea. They are crustacea. In fact, I'm not even sure if they're crustacea. We're going to have to ask Dr. Poor about that. Can I just ask straight up, how do they lose their anus? Well... Big night, you know. (laughs) How does one recover from that? It happens. (laughs) We'll save that one for maybe another time. Anyway... This, yeah, good question. Very good question. I'm guessing through potentially unfortunate predation. A bit, yeah, that's, that's a good start. They've gone through, or it might just be that the scientists have had a look to see um, whether any parts of their bodies might be able to regenerate. Oh, good lord. So, um, yes, I mean, you kind of look at this and think, Ugh, not, not, the, not the nicest of experiments that they've undertaken no. here, but they've checked out... Uh, hind limbs, parts of their guts, reproductive organs, and even their anuses, they um, can all regenerate. Isn't that amazing? Oh, all of them can. Yes. So it's not just the anuses, because I was thinking, why would it be the anus? <laughs> just the anus. Okay. It's so, the headline. I think they've, yeah, they've yeah, used this. Of and, course. And do you know what? It worked, didn't it? Worked, it? Because it sure I did. read the article. So sea spiders, sea spiders belong to the class Pycnogonida, a group of around 1,300 marine arthropods with eight legs. They look similar to terrestrial spiders. They are actually only very distantly related to them. Other arthropods such as spiders, centipedes and crabs can also regenerate body parts, enabling them to escape predators that have taken a bite out of them. However, it had long been assumed that sea spiders didn't possess this ability because scientists had never observed the animals doing it and because sea spiders have evolved hard exoskeletons to protect them from predators, which suggested they might might not need any other form of defence. There you go. And, um, yeah, I'm just looking it up here, and they are not crustacean. They are in the Chilterata, so they are, yeah. What's that? Pretty close to true spiders. True spiders. Well, they're not actually arachnids, but, you know, they're in the same group as the true spiders. So this was published in Evolution, January 23, and scientists have said they're the first to show that this is possible. Anyway. Okay. So it's proving what they might have thought. Oh, no, they didn't think it because it's got an exoskeleton. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, another little quick bit of news. There's a um, 
nice review in Nature Sustainability, which is published by um, people from uh, Queensland, up in Queensland, Scott Spilias, it's entitled Reducing Global Land Use Pressures with Seaweed Farming. Um, so it's a, a review, uh, the subject of somebody's PhD thesis, that is Scott, uh, working with Eve McDonald Madden and various other people up in um, Queensland. I'm just going to have a look at where they are working. At St Lucia, of course, at the University of Queensland with others. Um, great review. I'm going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks. Um, I think it's time we um, pulled apart seaweed farming and what's happening with it around here and get people like... Um, Prue Francis from Deakin and her colleague Alicia Belgrove. I was speaking to them yesterday. In fact, they are down, or Alicia is at the moment, down at the um, International Seaweed Symposium, which is in Hobart. Mm. So that's happening right now. That's She's why she a- couldn't come on today. But, um, yeah, in a week or two we'll be getting them on to, to talk about seaweed farming and, and where it's going here. There's um, you know, quite a few groups which are getting going with it now. Which is a good thing. Yeah, it's a great thing on all sorts of different levels. And um, you know, it's got the, the potential to reduce... Well, alleviate a lot of the pressure on, on um, agriculture on land and we also now that know now that seaweeds, particularly the brown kelps, are really good at um, not only sucking carbon out of the atmosphere but also um, pulling nitrogen and things out of the water. So mm. nitrogen and other nutrients that shouldn't be there from um, runoff from, from farms. So more on that later. We will get into that. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Now, what did you get up to during COVID lockdowns? Did you clean out the bathroom cupboards, maybe binge watch everything on Netflix, or perhaps learn a new skill? Well, Museum Victoria's Principal Curator Emeritus Marine Biology, Gary Poor, that's his full title, read more than 2,000 scientific papers about crustaceans and then created a masterpiece called Marine Decapod Crustacea, A Guide to Families and Genera of the World. It covers 189 families, 2,121 genera, and is the definitive guide to identifying the world's shrimps, crabs, prawns and their allies. We're so fortunate that Gary Poor, arguably the world authority on crustacean taxonomy, lives here in Melbourne and even more so, he's come into Triple R this morning to talk to us about this extraordinary new Bible of crustacean taxonomy. It's with great pleasure we welcome Gary to Radio Marinara and back to Triple R. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, Bron. It's great to have you back with us. Yes, it's, You've been it's here quite, before. I have, and uh, I walked in this building, which I haven't walked in for maybe 20 years, and uh, it looked familiar. I think we last ha- I was going through my archives. 2014 was the last time we had you on the show, but I'm not sure whether you were in the studio. We might have just talked to you on the phone that time. No, I was here. You were here. There you go. Yeah. Um, congratulations. This is a masterpiece. It's, uh, it's a much-needed piece of work, um, and I can thank COVID, as you said, actually. I, um, I was locked in my home <laughs> and I uh, had nothing else to do, so I wrote this. Yeah, amazing. Before we get into the book, I wanted to ask you about yourself and your career as a crustacean taxonomist. Mm-hmm. How did you get into it originally? Because you're from New Zealand originally. Yes, I came here 50 years ago um, to work on the Port Phillip Bay environmental study um, and... Um, and we were looking then at the impact of the Werribee sewage treatment farm on the animals that live in the bottom of Port Phillip. And um, one of the first things I came across was I wasn't actually able to identify any of them. So, or, No, I was able to identify some, but <laughs> there were lots that uh, didn't seem to have names. And uh, and I, was, um, I had a book on my desk, which was a 
He was a guide to the families in genera of marine amphipods, which are little hoppers that uh, live in mud on the bottom of the Port Phillip and elsewhere. And I thought, this is a very useful thing to get started because I was actually just getting started. And I've been dreaming of writing something like that ever since. Yeah, wow. Gary, at that time when you came across to New Zealand to work on mm. this, this study, were you, did you have particular interest in crustacea at that time? Or was this no, no, then? I didn't. I, I'd done my PhD on, uh, on abalone in New Zealand, um, uh, just the general biology, what they ate, what they, how they moved, um, when they reproduced. Uh, uh, so just general biology on one species. So I very quickly, when I came to Australia, started dealing, uh, dealing with uh, multi-species communities, so, you know, hundreds of species. Are you still a malacologist at heart? No. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I'm not. <laughs> So, so what is the word for somebody who studies crustacea or arthropods and arthropod dimensions? Um, uh, someone who studies crustacea is called a carcinologist. Oh, yeah. Carcinologist, yeah, right. Yeah, right, so yeah. it comes from cancer, which yes. is the Crab. genus of crabs um, and was a name introduced by Linnaeus. Well, it wasn't, well, the Greeks used it. But, yeah. yeah. You've supervised a very large number of doctorate, uh, masters and honours students mm-hmm. over the, the, de- the decades. What makes young people want to become taxonomists? Um, I can only speak for myself, really. I'm not young, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I just get fascinated by the beauty of these things. Um, if you flick through the colour pages in this book, the, um, they are just the most extraordinary things. Um, they're very, very colourful. They're extremely diverse. They're everywhere. Um, and uh, you just get fascinated. How did, how did this sort of thing happen? You know, why it's there? So many. Why have they radiated into so many different forms? Yeah, there's something very charismatic about them as well. And the spider crabs being, I mean, we've certainly been following the, the, the journey of the spider crabs, the, the evolution of this phenomenon over the years. Mm-hmm. There's something particularly exciting about crustaceans that maybe don't apply to, you know, I, I, I did my PhD on, on mollusks and I love mollusks, but they don't carry that same sort of X factor charisma that maybe crustaceans do. Well, to me, all bivalves look much alike. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but cr- um, crustaceans don't. I mean, there's even in the decapods, there's 11 um, infraorders, you know, shrimps, crabs, hermit crabs, squat lobsters, real lobsters, blind lobsters, on and on and on it goes. I said gastropods, but I'm guessing you're probably going to say the same about them. Dr. Beach? <laughs> decapods. You just mentioned the word decapod. Mm-hmm. For, our, for our audience, I mean, a lot of people might be able to pull that apart, but um, what, what, do, what is so a decapod? So decapod is uh, essentially it means ten legs, which are the ten obvious legs on uh, a crab or a lobster. Um, so uh, in a crab, it's a pair of uh, claws at the front and four walking legs. Um, and all decapods have... Um, ten, ten legs. They, also, they have other legs as well, but uh, so they have gills at the, on their tails, and they have uh, what we call mouth parts, which are legs that uh, they use to around the head to um, to macerate their food. Are, are shrimps and prawns decapods as well? Oh yes, they yeah, are. Yeah. So shrimps, prawns, crabs, crayfish, lobsters, 
squat lobsters, um, hermit crabs. There are lots of common names. And you mentioned, you've alluded to the, the, the colour pictures in the book before, and they are just flicking through it, just mm. outstanding mm. pictures. And the diversity there, I mean, I think that's what does, to answer your question, Bron, what makes young people want to go into taxonomy. I think it is just this, the love of the diversity. For me, it was like a, looking at plankton and going mm-hmm. to our local mm-hmm. waters and peering into the water and seeing new, you know, things that I know people had not seen here before and then trying to describe those. This is, for me, 20, 30 years ago. But, yeah, it's... it's well, for me, it was too. I mean, I, I started uh, in Port Phillip, as I said, and um, I soon realised that there were, there were decapods, there were ghost shrimps uh, in the middle of Port Phillip Bay and, in fact, it was one of the most abundant uh, species in Port Phillip, and it it didn't have a name. <laughs> yeah. so, I, so I I thought, well, I can do taxonomy. So yeah. so I described it and another one, yeah. and then it, and it's been like that ever since. Yeah, so, wow, it's kind of detective work, isn't it? Really, it is. And now we've got molecular tools to help us. So yeah, yeah it's getting. I wanted to ask you about um, just how we classify living things and then we'll get into the book itself because I think it's important to understand that when you approach a book like this and perhaps you haven't studied taxonomy, we've put a link to it already on our Facebook page Mm -hmm. so people can go in and have a look, might not know where to start. And so we have this sort of order of classification that starts with Mm. them. Biology students know this, going through school. My my teenagers have have both gone through this, um, going through high school as well. So the the, uh, mnemonic that we always used was police cars often follow green sedans which is phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Mm-hmm. So as we're talking about with, with decapods, crustaceans, are, are they considered to be a sub... So arthropods or arthropoda is the phylum. Crustaceans are a subphylum or are they um, a class? Where do they kind of fit no, in? Well, there's a lot of argument about this. There's a group called pancrustacea, which actually includes crustaceans, shrimps, prawns and lobsters that we're talking about. It also includes insects, which... Uh, oh. So once upon a time, insects were arthropods separate from crustaceans. Uh, but now we know that insects are actually just flying crustaceans. So they, they're actually derived from crustaceans. Right? Ah, that, that's... Yeah, I was wondering that. That's, yeah, so... And you were talking that. earlier about pinaconids. Well, they are a separate group of arthropods. So the arthropoda are a giant phylum... Uh, uh, which include all those animals with exoskeletons and jointed legs, so, yeah. so spiders, pycnogonids, Because often the crustacea are referred to as the insects of the sea, but it's actually... No, it's the other way around. Said, it's the other way around. Yeah. It's the other way around, yeah. Yeah. And barnacles are crustaceans too, which they is something are. that surprises people. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's to do with their, their um, I guess, all their features, but most importantly sort of identifying those at larval stage because unlike other crustaceans, I guess most other crustaceans that develop legs and are, and are what's called sessile, they move around. Mm. Something happens in the larval stage and they end up sort of plonking themselves down onto a rock or onto a whale or something like that and then they just stay there forever. Yeah, they do. Uh, they're sitting on their heads. So and they do have legs. They have jointed legs like, uh, like lobsters. Uh, um, but they point them out of these holes uh, in the top of the little shell that's on the ground. Um, and if, you, if they go underwater, you can, you, they will put these little filtering legs out and they look, they look like lobster legs, you know, and they, and they filter the water. Amazing. They are beautiful things to look at under the, under yeah. the dissecting microscope and they're doing their work. Yeah. Let's get to the book. Yep. We should, we should uh, mention your co-author, Shane Ayong. Mm-hmm. Yes, Shane. Can you tell us a bit about Shane? 
Shane is uh, my equivalent at the Australian Museum in Sydney. Uh-huh. Well, uh, he's still employed, um, but he is a, an expert on decapods, crabs in particular, um, and he's uh, he's an amazing guy. He's a, he's he's of your generation, uh, Bron, so he's <laughs> younger than me, um, but he's a, a, an extraordinary uh, decapod taxonomist. And so the book that you have put together, it's, as we mentioned at the start, it's a composite of many, many, many other books and web-based resources. Mm-hmm. How did you start putting it together? How did you know where to start? Um, well, of course, you, I've got lots of experience um, trying to identify material from Australia and the Pacific. Um, so I've had access to an enormous amount of uh, primary literature, which is published in journals and expedition reports. And, of course, it's all hierarchical, so... Um, uh, well, the classification is hierarchical. So I thought, well, I, I just started reading all that. To, and, uh, and the thing about... Uh, modern writing this book as opposed to another one I wrote uh, 20 years ago uh, is that all of that literature is now available online so I can sit at home and modern journals are published electronically and all the old journals are uh, are now scanned and available online through what's called the Biodiversity Heritage Library so I could sit at home and read read it all. Um, so I was putting together uh, some existing um, keys. This book is full of keys to identify things to, um, and um, I had to write a lot myself, uh, and Shane helped me do that. And, um, but it, it only goes as far as genus. So when you get to genus, like cancer, for example, this a dozen species of cancer, then you've got to go somewhere else to, to get the species name. And when you say it only goes as far as genus, that's 2,000 genera that are, mm. that are uh, yeah. identified yeah. And, and in this book. Gary, there's lots of beautiful colour pictures there of many different crabs, mm. for example. Who's, did you take those? Did Shane take those? No, no, no he didn't. <laughs> um, we've got lots of colleagues all over the world, um, people who go on expeditions, um, I can name a few, but there's uh, people who who are good at crust, crustacean taxonomy and take good pictures. I don't. Um, there's also a website called uh, Crab Life, Crab something, uh, by a guy who's uh, based in the Czech Republic who's a diver and he takes wonderful pictures. Um, Flicking yeah. through the book, there's a, a picture of a... I could, is, is that a crab there? And it, it is, but it's a tiny one, which is in the gills of fish. Is that correct? There was one, one of the books. No, you're shaking oh, your head. <laughs> I got it wrong. It's a new thing you're discovered. No. <laughs> no, no the, one, the one that lives in the most interesting uh, environment or an interesting environment, um, it lives, uh, it's a swimming crab uh, it lives in the anus of Holothurians. So you're talking about anuses before, so I thought I'd bring it back up again. But <laughs> why, why not? <laughs> why not? So, so it lives in this. Uh, and the swimming crabs are extremely active. Uh, uh, these have these little paddles that, uh, um, that enable them to swim around. They're very aggressive animals. But this particular lissocarcinus uh, lives in the anus of 
holothurians, which are sea cucumbers. Sea cucumbers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and the biggest decapod crustacean is? Uh, well, there's an argument between two. One is the Japanese spider crab, which uh, is it weighs about 17 kilos, uh, and it uh, has a leg span of about four metres. Wow. wow. So it's a giant. It's a, it's a very big crab. Um, and the other one that uh, is the Tasmanian giant crab, which is uh, lives locally in r- relatively deep water. It uh, is m- it's more typically crab-shaped, uh, but it weighs the same. It weighs about 17 kilos. It's, and it's got a massive uh, Claw. The males have a massive claw, which is about uh, about the size of my forearm. So, yeah. so the argument on size is based on weight. Well, you can argue whatever you like. Yeah, I mean, it's just going <laughs> the biggest, like the widest. Depends on the yeah, yeah. measurement. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. 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 Do those Japanese spider crabs, do they congregate en masse like the ones no, we see in Port no, Phillip? No, they don't. Okay. No. That would be a scary thing. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there can be a sci-fi movie. Go, let's go, let's go Jeff <laughs> we'll get on Jeff on it. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, your publicist sent us a few others to highlight um, that uh, she thought we might like to mention. So um, the Yeti crab, the Paddington bear crab and the boxer crab. And I know I was reading through your list of crabs. There's one called Thor. Anyway, oh, yeah, just, yeah. It no, just it's, a, it's, a, it's a shrimp. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a shrimp, right. Yeah, okay, it's, yeah. a, it's a shrimp, Thor. Yeah. So, uh, well, many crabs are named after gods of one form or another. So, uh, wow. There are lots of Greek names uh, are used for crustaceans, particularly marine um, marine gods. So, And, I mean, there is... I mean, the, the Greeks had lots of gods, and <laughs> so Kalyanasa is one. Which yeah. is Paddington named after the colours, or is it Peruvian? No, it's a, oh, we can't show you the picture, but uh, it's a it's a it's a brown hairy crab. It looks very cute. <laughs> <laughs> and the yeti crab. The yeti crab is a deep water crab with uh, um, deep water. Squat lobster, really, uh, with long uh, claws, which are very, very hairy. Um, and it was named the Eddie Crab, crab uh, about oh, 15 years ago. It was discovered in very, very deep water. And it became a became a uh, internet uh, publicity um, phenomenon uh, when it was discovered. And it was the first uh, species in its... It's called Kiwa... Uh, the first species in its family. Uh, since then, we've discovered about six or seven species in that family. But, mm. We'll have to move on in just a sec. We've got our dive reporter waiting to give us a dive report. The last one I wanted to mention was the boxer crab, mm. um, which carries anemones in its claws like poisonous pom-poms so it can sting predators. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's clever. <laughs> Well, it's not clever. It's just evolved that way. That's so cool. Thank you very much, Annika, from um, Museums Victoria, who sent all of this our way. We could talk to you for probably the the rest of the show, I reckon, Dr. Beach. I'm just looking up to you. I'm I'm in awe. (laughs) It's it's a weighty tome. It's hardly like a field guide, but, I mean, it's it's for the library shelf and um, it's just a wonderful thing. I mean, I love that on my coffee table. I'm, 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 I'm no hints, no hints. <laughs> it's magnificent. So um, uh, thank you, Gary, so much for coming in. It's good to be back. Um, and let's get uh, – would you, will you come back again? Yes. <laughs> thank as long, you. As long as I talk about crabs, that's <laughs> all I know about. Well, I, I'm going to talk about crabs in about five minutes' time, Actually, just yeah. for five minutes if you want to hang around. We on, the la- on the larval yeah. stages, which oh, okay. I suspect yeah. you know a bit about. <laughs> yeah. We've um, been speaking with Associate Professor 
Gary Poor from Museums Victoria. The book is called Marine Decapod Crustacea, A Guide to Families and Genera of the World. It is absolutely magnificent. Gary C.B. Poor and Shane T.R. Young, CSIRO Publishing. And we've already put a link to that on our Facebook page. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. Hello, my name is Belvedere and I have something to say to you while I'm here. With Radio Marinara, you'll all go much farer. So tune in. I'm being sincere. My God, Nerida, that's one from the archives. <laughs> Pull that out of the archives, yes. 9.37, 23 minutes to 10 o'clock. Yes, you are listening to Radio Marinara. And without further ado, let's welcome for her uh, debut dive report, uh, Myra Kelly. Welcome to Team Marinara. How are you? Good morning, Brian, Dr Beach. How are you? Very well. How are you, Myra? I'm living life well down here at Flinders Pier. Sun's out, divers are in the water, and conditions are looking really great. Now, last week when we had Cara Hull on the show for the first time, she told us a little bit about herself. So, yeah, for our listeners, because you're part of our team now, um, tell us a bit about yourself, Myra. Um, I probably don't have the qualifications that Cara has, but, but I'm just really a girl that spends a lot of time in the water. Um I have, uh, I guess, the last four and a half years, I was a, an avid freediver. Um, I renewed my uh, scuba certification at the end of 22 after lockdown. And, um, yeah, since then I've clocked up probably about 150 dives, most of them sort of being in excess of two and a half, three hours. And, uh, yeah, boat dives, pier dives, uh, all across Moynton Peninsula, Port Phillip and Western Port. Um making the most of, of the amazing sites and marine life that we've got down here. And Mara, you mentioned you started off as a freediver. That's, um, that's adventurous. That's exciting. Well, it was probably, for me, the, uh, the easiest way to get in the water uh, quickly, having gear in the back of the car, making the most of any available opportunity when mates sort of give you a call and said, hey, conditions are looking pretty good. We're about to you. Let's roll. And uh, and I just want to say too, you said you're not qualified. You you sound pretty qualified to me. It's kind of not. <laughs> you, you're out there diving and you're doing that every weekend and uh, and kind of know what's going on. So let's yeah. Well, there's there's been I guess you know barely any weekends out of the water since um yeah becoming scuba re- um, certified. So. And Making the most of it. That's what happens, isn't it? I remember um, when I first got my qualification, I, I was like you. I was out there every single opportunity I had. And um, and there's always something new, isn't it? Just when you think you've seen it all, something else happens. So, yeah, it's amazing. Well, there's yeah, there's definitely the marine life to, um, you know, to, to keep you guessing, the dive sites to keep you guessing. But there's also a community of some really, really cool people that um, I've fallen in with. And, uh, yeah, they're a real pleasure to be around. So let's go uh, to today's dive report. So you're down at Flinders and you mentioned there's, I, there's divers in the water. What's it like down there? Yeah, look, well, I've, I've actually spent the last I've spent the last three days down at Flinders. So I had date night Friday night down here, snorkelling, and that was really cool. I was down here all day yesterday. Visibility was, um, I reckon, between 12 to 15 metres. And today the conditions have really held. We've got a, um, a really, really light southwest wind blowing at around about three to, I'm sorry, zero to three knots today, um, with around about a 1.5 metre swell coming past West Head. Um, as I said, the sun's out, it's flat, the water is sparkling, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm definitely hanging to get below the surface and check out the creatures. What's it like on the other side? Um, if there's on a, the up- yeah, there's a light southerly, I'm guessing it's pretty nice on the other side as well, on the bay side. 
Yeah, look, from what I've been hearing from uh, across social media this week, visibility has been excellent, whether that's pier dives or boat dives. Um, I think today, you know, given conditions, you really can't pick a bad spot today. So if you're still lying in bed, get out. Um, <laughs> there's apparently still spots available for boats today if you want to book on. Um, otherwise, get down to the piers, get yourself a car park, pack your lunch and, and make a day of it. Yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah, get wet, get salty. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're all about. It is indeed. <laughs> Perfect note to end on. Thanks, Myra. Enjoy the water today. Um, we're all jealous that we're not there with you. We will get down there at some point. And um, thanks so much. Excellent first dive report. Look forward to catching up with you in a couple of weeks. Thank you again. Thanks very much. Bye for now. Bye. Myra Kelly, our new dive reporter. How exciting to be getting new people on board. Yeah, really looking forward to uh, speaking with her throughout the year. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Dr. Beach, Krabby Eye Glitter. Krabby Eye Glitter. Well, we've just had Gary Poor in the studio. In fact, Gary's still here because he's a decapod crustacean expert and I was very excited this week to see the cover of Science is on decapod crustacea but on the larval stages so gary's been talking about um well we've been talking about gary's book uh, which is showing photographs of adult crustacea so the crabs um shrimps which you can see pretty clearly when you're under the water but when all of these things have larval stages so they are in the pelagic zone that's what we call it that's sort of the water column swimming around and for these tiny little creatures, which will develop, they'll go through metamorphous stages, um, a little bit like an insect. And as we heard before, crustaceans um, are very closely related to insects. In fact, insects are considered to be the crustacea of land. Um, these little guys, when they're in the pelagic zone, when they're swimming about, they want to see stuff, but they don't want to be seen because if they get seen, they will get eaten. Um, and some of us may already realise just from the diving, we may have done the snorkelling or even if we get a bucket of seawater and we have a look in that and we might see little two little black dots swimming around. That represents the eyes of these tiny little creatures, these little larval crustacea. And what we can't see is the rest of the body because the vast majority of these remain invisible. Mm. Um, they have lots of different strategies. They have lack of pigmentation in the body. They also have little protuberances on the outside. So I'm talking about baby shrimp, tiny shrimp, maybe baby larval lobster um, or baby crabs. And they have these tiny little protuberances which reflect the light. So they look quite glass-like. But about the only thing that you can see are these two black dots which represent their eyes. And the eyes have these black dots because they have to be pigmented because you need sort of stuff in between the various different photoreceptors for them to work. Many of these larval stages, tiny ones, you can't see the black dots. They have what's called eye glitter, <laughs> officially called eye glitter around the outside, sparkly eye glitter. People have known this for quite a while, but now there's a paper which has, as I said, appeared in science where they have looked very deeply into this um, and they have discovered what this eye glitter is made of. So first of all, it's really cool stuff and it is, as we say, tunable. So the, the title of this paper is a tunable reflector, enabling crustaceans to see but not be seen. What do you mean by tunable? By tunable, that means that they can change the colour of the reflection. So there are these little glass nanospheres or nanoparticles so made of stuff which is glass-like, which sits over the lens or just below the cornea and above the, um, the pigmented receptors um, in the, the larval stages. 
and these little glass spheres, if they change size, and they can change size between species or even within one species as it moves up and down the water column, and by changing size, that changes the the quality of the light or the colour of the light that is reflected so that they can reflect light. So, for example, if they are living in the deep water and there's blue, lots of bluish water around, bluish, bluish silvery, they can tune it so that they are reflecting that colour. So their eyes are therefore invisible. Therefore, the whole animal is invisible to predation. You can have other ones which live in freshwater estuarine environments where the water is more a yellow colour and the size of these nanoparticles is bigger and that will reflect yellow. So we have this truly beautiful eye glitter, which is on these otherwise, well, completely, well they are completely transparent larvae, and this is masking the eyes, masking the, the, the blackness of the eyes. Gary, this is a this must be kind of big news in the crustacean world, I'd imagine. Uh, I'm sure it is. Um, it hasn't hit uh, the ta- taxonomy yet, but uh, well, it, but it, it only, only, only came out two days ago. <laughs> uh, um, but it is important that it's tunable because many of these things, many of these larvae in the oceans, uh, uh, and adults as well, are actually vertical migrators, so they go up into the light uh, or to the shallow water during the uh, night time and then go down into the deep where it's dark. Uh, it is amazing to think of, it, think of these tiny creatures doing this. Yeah, so they're swimming up and down, often hundreds and hundreds of metres. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the amount of light that's available and the quality of light, whether it's blue or red or white, uh, is changes as they go up and down. So to stay invisible, they have to tune these... These pigments, as you yeah, say. it's so cool that they can tune it. And the really, uh, this is big news. Cover of science. I mean, you know, every scientist's dream to have the cover of science or cover of nature. Not only because of the fascinating biology and elucidating the, the mechanisms by how these would way in which these larvae remain invisible, but we can now use this technology. Well, not technology. This natural phenomenon and make technology from it, if you like. So solar systems, um, all sorts of invisibility cloaks, if you like, or anything yeah. that you can imagine with, photo, with photonics um, will be educated by this study. And the people that did this work are, are not marine biologists per se, but rather um, chemists from Ben-Gurion University in Israel. And it's, yeah... Very cool stuff. It's amazing. And it's just like you were talking about with invisibility cloaks. It was exactly what I was thinking, <laughs> that this sort of effectively can become that. I'm imagining yeah, the, the yeah. creators at Marvel listening to yeah. them. Crustaceans do it very well already by you know, making most of their body and the whole body is invisible by having these little bumps, as I said, so you get anti, you know, they're anti-reflective. Um, they don't have pigments inside them. Um, but also now to, so the, the one thing that was giving them away the eye spots in many of them, we now realise that we can't see the eyes because um, because of this, this mm. glitter. Fascinating. Narada, do you have a question? Oh, I was just going to ask how it differs from um, what, like, cephalopods do, like, um, you know, octopus and... Uh, well, of- ma- many animals do mask that, that camouflage themselves, yeah. so, so they have various different reflective, reflective mechanisms. Um, cuttlefish eyes actually have sort of concave or I forget the convex or convex Gary you might remember um, mirrors on their eyes so that they reflect the water, reflect the light yeah right um, and there, there are lots of different strategies out in the ocean but the big deal about this is that they've uncovered the mechanism for mm. this glitter um, how it's made what it does what it looks like um, and now that can be 
you know, transpose to, to stuff which we can use. Yeah, right. One last question um, for Gary about this before we then move on because we've got Jeff waiting to come in as well. Um, I'm just wondering about the use of behaviour in taxonomy. So when you kind of have a look through your book, I'm going to promote it again, Marine Decapod Crustacea, um, a lot of it is around, you know, if you have, uh, you know, I'm just making up an example, but you have four leg, four hairs on this leg, it puts it into that class of all that group of animals. And then if you have three um, mm. spots on that part of its carapace, then it puts it into here. How much does behaviour come into taxonomy? Um, most taxonomists work with dead material, so not much. Yeah, because I find this sort of thing coming back to the paper yeah. again, if we've got this sort of mechanism where we've got eye glitter and is, is it something that's happening in response to its physical environment or is it a, as a result of behavioural changes? It it's, it's mm-hmm. appears to have arisen separately in several different groups mm-hmm. of crustaceans. So it's, it's a really great example of what we call parallel evolution. You know, classic example of that is wings in bats and wings in birds. Um, but... Yes, yeah, so, so that's not all it is is their behaviour moving up and down, Bron, and trying to hide from their predators, but at the same time being able to seek. So it's, it's this arms race, if you like, between hiding and seeking. Yeah, that was my other question about why they're going up and down. Is it are they avoiding predators or are they yes, going they, into different light scenarios because it benefits them because they might be able to access a different type of food source? I mean, as a field biologist as well as a taxonomist, I know that swimming crabs, for example, are extremely aggressive. If you approach one, they'll wave their arms, their claws around and they'll attack you. Whereas um, little sponge crabs, uh, they put a sponge over their head and they try to be invisible. So, <laughs> um, so they all... <laughs> They do have different behaviours, which we know about. Sponge crabs and decorated crabs were my favourite crustacean. I mean, who doesn't love that? Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Dr Beach. No worries. Amazing science. Yeah, very cool. It just keeps coming. Triple R. This is Frank and Colin from Lano and Woodley, and you are listening to Bron and the team on Radio Marinara on Triple R. Frank, would you like to say anything? Uh, That's enough. Oh, that's it. That's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's it. They were so much fun. <laughs> Hopefully uh, they'll be doing another show for the Comedy Festival this year. Let's talk to Jeff Maynard. Good morning, Jeff. Morning, Burton. Morning, Beach. So um, good to see you. Yeah. 2023, it all kicks off. And um, I'm a little nervous, actually, because I'm doing something very risky this year. Mm-hmm. Last year, of course, we did the history of uh, diving using James Bond movie. And I just thought I'd put the old gender balance needle back in the middle. So this year we are looking at female marine biologists in movies and trying to get a sense of how they're portrayed you know, what the traps for young players are, things like that. And, of course, I'm a little risky because I could be accused of mansplaining. But <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Nerida's about to knife you. No, no, I, I, no, I, I know. No, no, I'm, I'm, no, it was the introduction of the woke bloke and mansplain in the same sentence. It yeah. was like... <laughs> so, it, it, look, I, I'm in unknown territory yeah. here, but it doesn't matter. So give, anyway, it, give it a go. Yeah. We're just, we're just going to wing it. And well, I'm going to go with it. Yeah, yeah we, we, we yes. do have to go with it. Anyway, look, I, I'm sort of going to pick movies with marine, uh, female marine biologists in them. And the first one I've done is a sort of um, gratuitous violence and nudity in a movie <laughs> called Piranha 3DD. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> And it's basically a young marine biologist called Maddie returns to the family um, uh, water park that was run by her mother but has now been taken over by her stepfather 
who's sort of a baddie. And uh, the stepfather's turned it into sort of an adult-themed marine park where bathers are optional for most people, things like that. Um, but, of course... Um, being three double uh, piranha three double D, it's about third or fourth in some sort of piranha um, horror movie franchise. So the best way you always have to kick off these movies by recapping what's ha- happened before. So we always go to a newsreader at the start of these movies, and uh, they tell you what's happening. So what's about to happen? It seems like only yesterday the party would go on forever. But in just 12 short months, the place known as America's Spring Break Capital has become a virtual ghost town. And who could have guessed that this hell on earth would be wrought by a species of piranha believed extinct for the last two million years? After a massive exodus that left most property abandoned, the local economy fell into ruin. As we look back on the anniversary of this tragic event, we're left to wonder if it happened here. Can it happen again? And if so, where? And it, can it happen again? Of course, you know, if that happens at the start of the movies, it's going to happen again. Now, the other thing that the female marine biologist needs in every, or these sort of movies anyway, is the, uh, glad uh, Gary's left the theatre, um, uh, is, is you need the nutty old professor who's an expert on it. And who better is the nutty old professor that, you go and consult to say, you know, what's happening with his piranha and all that sort of stuff. Who better than the nutty old um, scientist and uh, Christopher Lloyd, who <laughs> sort of he 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 sort of took over the role in Back to the Future. And anyway, so Maddie goes off to talk to Christopher Lloyd, uh, who's written a book on the subject, and ask him about piranha. These piranha spent eons living in underground lakes and rivers, full of sulfur dioxide from all the geothermal activity. That's how they come back to spawn. Did you tell anyone that this could happen? I tried. Unfortunately, I lost some credibility after my last book. A foretold dreadful plague of walking fish. Oh, that's right. You wrote The Fish Walk Among Us. I love that book. Barry, you, uh, you read a marine biology book? Well, I want to see what you're so interested in. So I don't know if it, but you just got to, someone's got to write a book called The Fish Walk Among Us. I reckon that, that, that's, that's a bestseller written all over it. Anyway, um, the other thing that marine biologists um, obviously have to uh, deal with, the female ones, is uh, they run the risk of people being condescending to them. So this is where uh, Maddie confronts her stepfather to say, you're getting water up out of the ground and um, there's piranha in the water and this could bad and so he's condescending to her but anyway let's have a listen to um, stepfather telling um, uh, Maddie that you know she's not making sense you can't fill this water park off a well (laughs) it's not a standard well we drilled down a whole lot further hit an underwater lake we got enough water to last us till kingdom come you have no idea what you've done well sure I do you don't understand you could be pumping piranha straight through the water intake pipes Maddie it's opening day and you want me to close shop because there might just might be piranha in the pipe. What else? Ghosts, boogeymen, sharks, snakes? Come on, kid. 
been watching too many movies, little girl. You should read romance novels. <gasps> oh, well, there it is. So there it is. There it is. Um, anyway, look, the best thing about Piranha uh, 3 Double D. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it, it not Christopher Lloyd being in it. I'm still gobsmacked no, by no, that. No, it right. gets better. It right. gets better. David Hasselhoff. <gasps> <is there. laughs> And so what what evil stepdaddy has done is because he's got the opening day of this adult theme park and everything, he's hired David Hasselhoff, who's down on his luck. He walks in saying, God, I've hit rock bottom. But David Hasselhoff <laughs> sits in a, um, a lifeguard chair with the sort of that red thing, that, that little floaty thing he used to carry. Baywatch. Baywatch, yeah, Baywatch yeah. stuff, or, you know, the shirt undone. And he sits in the lifeguard chair so people come up and get selfies with him and he's sitting there. Of course, he's not a real lifeguard, but he's sitting in the lifeguard chair. People are coming up and getting selfies with the real David Hasselhoff and uh, some little kid comes up and actually wants a real lifeguard. So we'll have a listen to the kid and David Hasselhoff. Can I just have a Band-Aid? Wait a minute. You don't know who I am? No. You never saw Baywatch running in slow motion? How about Knight Rider? Talking car? Anaconda 3. You really have no idea who I am. Yeah, you're a lifeguard. I need a Band-Aid. I got a Band-Aid from my main man, David, here, please. SpongeBob. I'm just going to get a Band-Aid tomorrow. So it's not the best bit in the it's, film. It's, it's a movie with everything, you know. Like I said, violence, nudity, people getting heads bitten off with um, um, piranhas, giant piranhas eating things. Uh, fabulous movie, Piranha 3 Double D. You've it, got 2023 off to a yes. flying start. Yeah, here. it's going to go downhill from here. <laughs> Thank you so much. Is this, this is our theme for 2023, yeah? This is our theme for 2023. Excellent. Thank you so much. And we have had the show something for everyone um, today. So thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you to Gary Poor. Thank you, Dr. Beach. No worries. And thank you uh, to Myra Kelly, our new dive reporter, and to Nerida for keeping us on our toes. Thank you, ne- um, David, who will have this show up as a podcast uh, sometime in the next few days. Next week's show, Cade will be in. We'll be catching up with Scott Breshkin from the Nature Conservancy. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.